A report out today says that the number of gang members have increased 65% in the past year. Violence erupted once again today in Northern Ireland with the bombing of a railway station. The Drug Enforcement Agency seized 20 kilos of pure cocaine after three months. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? The hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life. song um, it's called heaven in the real world and the person that was speaking there his name is Chuck Colson and you know he he asked this the, the the phrase there he asked that question where where is the hope and I, I love that song you know he goes on to say the hope that each of us has you know our hope is in the power of God he says working through the hearts of people uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman goes on to say in this song, Heaven in the Real World, that Jesus is our hope, and he is our peace, and he makes this life complete. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath, he says. God did so, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. He goes on to say, we have this hope as an anchor. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know, what a great passage of Scripture when it talks about that we have this hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure firm and secure. Our hope is definitely not placed um, in this world. You know, uh, this world is not a place that lends itself much to hope, is it? Um, In fact, we have absolutely seen how things can change really quick. For example, uh, think over the past several months, like the last 27 months, just how things have changed. You know, gas prices are still even at an all-time high. I just saw a thing on my Facebook page that Mark Riley, a friend of mine, posted about in um, the summer of 2020 where gas prices were $1.69 a gallon. I just paid uh, $3.79 a gallon. You know, at one point in time, they were up over $5 a gallon up in the Williamsport area. I don't know if it ever reached that high down here, but I noticed that gas prices here in this area are way more than even 
going towards Harrisburg or going towards Virginia. I don't know what it is about this area. You know, approximately two years ago, I could fill my car up for about 30 to $35, and now it costs me between 70 and $80 to fill up. Food prices are at an all-time high. I tell you what, it's, it's disgusting when you go to the grocery store, and we can't walk out of there paying less than $100, $150, and we get um, about three or four bags less of groceries than we did two or three years ago. Inflation at one point hit an 8.6% high, highest in 40 years. It was 1.4% in 2020, and it went to 8.6. It is now right around 6. Wokeism is the big thing nowadays. you know. And, and on the world front, we look at the situation that took place in Afghanistan. We still haven't recovered from that. 13 soldiers lost their lives. We look at the war between Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, just new information came out this week about the whole war with Russia and Ukraine. And, and talking about the fact that our government may have lied to us about how well the war is going. We don't know what to believe, do we? We don't, you know, it's, there's just so many things coming at us. Uh, look at the situation with China. Scary. It's a scary world that we're living in. And, and, and then you have to consider other things, not even on the world front, such as disease and, and natural disasters and, and death and evil and so many other negative things that fill our world. You know, just in the past month and a half, I've been involved in or have attended six funerals. It happens. There seems to not be a lot of room for hope. That's the frustration that I have. But I want to tell you something. Hope is a very powerful thing. It truly is. God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, and I, I figure that some of you would know that I was going to use this passage of Scripture because it is a great passage. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, hope is a very powerful thing. Listen to what several people have shared about with hope. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, there is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great, no, and no tonic so powerful as expectation of something better tomorrow. Something better tomorrow. Emily, Emily Dickinson said this. She said this in one of her poems. She said, and maybe you've read this before, hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul. Pliny, anybody ever heard of Pliny the Elder? He was an ancient Roman philosopher, and this is what he wrote. He said, hope is the dream of a waking man. And then, of course, Martin Luther said this. He said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. By hope. Wow. Here's what the, the dictionary defined hope as. And I believe that this is, this is kind of a world's view of hope. It said, to have a wish to get or do something or for something to happen or to be true, especially something that seems possible or maybe even likely. Hope from the world's viewpoint is 
Just what the definition described. Absolutely. You know, the world sees hope as, as, a, as a wish or a desire. You know, hope, as the world sees it, is a, is a longing for something that may or may not take place. We don't know. We're not sure. But the Bible teaches us that biblical hope is something entirely different than the wishful thinking of this world. Absolutely. Listen, listen to the words of the psalmist. Psalm chapter 31 verse 24 says this, Be strong and take heart, all of you who hope in the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Psalm 71 5 says, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my conscience or my confidence since my youth. The sovereign Lord, for you have been my hope. You have been my confidence since my youth. And then Peter shares with us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We talked about that last week, didn't we? We talked about the, the, the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. And the better news is that Jesus rose from the dead for you and for me. And the greatest news ever, the best news of all, is that because he conquered the grave, we too can conquer the grave. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You know, the world says that hope is merely a fond wish or a desire. The words used for hope in the Bible, on the other hand, well, I think that they tell an entirely different story. I really do. I believe they tell a different story. Because I think what they teach us is that they, they teach us that biblical hope is a deep, settled confidence that God's going to keep his promises. How many of you have ever broken your promise? Husbands, get your hands up there. <laughs> yeah, we, we all probably have broken promises. But you know what? God keeps his promises. You know, and, and the biblical hope is this, this, this deep settled confidence that, that God is going to keep his promises. Biblical hope is a joyful, confident expectation. That's what it is. So in the face of hopelessness that grips our world, there is one group of people that possesses genuine hope. And who are they? Who are they? That's right, they're the believers in Jesus Christ. The believers have hope. You know, I don't know what tomorrow will bring my way. It may bring death. It may bring disease. It may bring disaster. It may bring sorrow. It may be, bring pain. It may bring hardship. It may bring blessing. It may bring joy. It might even bring happiness I may not know what tomorrow will bring, but this one thing I do know for sure. I know who holds my future in his hands, and I do know that tomorrow 
might bring Jesus. Guys, I think we're there. I think we're there. And I do believe with all my heart that Jesus might just come back in our lifetime. Like I said, the world's a scary place and and I don't know how much longer the Lord's going to tarry. I think that we might be there. We just might be there. And so, you know, as far as I know, you know, here's, here's what Paul tells us. He tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, he says, he says, we wait for the blessed hope. We wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you that person? Are you that person? Are you waiting for the blessed hope? That, that, that appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I'm telling you what, I've been thinking about writing to my children and asking them and letting them know to get your, to get your stuff in order. Because we don't know for sure. That blessed hope may appear at any day. Maybe tomorrow Jesus will come. Maybe before you put your head on the pillow today, tonight, Jesus will come. He is, is he your blessed hope? Is he what you're waiting to, for, for someone to appear? Are you waiting for Jesus to appear? That's the way we need to live our lives every single day. That we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The hope of the believer is wrapped up in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about that last week. And as believers, we can, we, we can, we can live, we can, we can serve, we can worship, and we can walk in absolute hope. We can do those things. But this is where the church at Corinth was having difficulty. For those of you who are coming on Wednesday nights, we've been talking from 2 Corinthians. All the things that Paul has had to face with those Corinthian people, man. I'm telling you what, it's been rough for him. You know, the the church at Corinth was a church with many problems. There were divisions in the church. Sin was being tolerated. False doctrine abounded. It was being taught. So the apostle Paul addresses their problem in the, in the first book of Corinthians, and he seeks to bring them back in line with true faith and practice. And he did that in 2 Corinthians as well. They didn't learn from 1 Corinthians, so he had to write them another letter to try to get them to come back. And when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, especially looking at verse 12, where some of the, the, the people in Corinth had even denied the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. Here's what he says. But if, but if it is preached that, that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Because some of them were saying that, that there was no resurrection from the dead. And so Paul spends the remainder of this great chapter declaring the awesome doctrine of the resurrection. 
and, and laying a solid foundation for our hope as believers. So if you want to look at, at, at the resurrection, go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it'll, it'll share with you some really great information. Nowhere else in the Bible can we see such a clear and complete statement concerning the death and resurrection of the believer and our hope, our, our future hope in Christ Jesus. And I like what Paul concludes with. Paul concludes his thoughts with this verse. And we're going to come back to this verse quite a bit. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, he says this. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. It is not in vain. This, this verse touches on the hope that we enjoy as children of God and on what that hope accomplishes in our lives. This verse can, can help us dedicate ourselves to walking before the Lord in absolute hope. Absolute hope. You know, again, as I said earlier to you, look around. Look around at this world. Look around at this world today. We, we might conclude that by looking around at this world that there is no hope. Can you imagine a person that doesn't have Christ in their life? How can they look upon this world and think that there's hope? How can they do that? Wars and rumors of wars, crimes, you know, and, and our judges and, and, and our legal system letting people who have committed those crimes just walk. Sin and, and death and the rest of the horrors of, of this modern life can leave us feeling as if there is no hope for the future. What about our children and our grandchildren? What kind of world are we leaving them? So this lack of hope can stifle our desire to serve the Lord and it can cause us to come to the place where we will say, what is the use? But because of God's word, folks, because of his word, because of his word, we know as well, or you know as well as I do, that we have reason to walk in absolute hope. We have that reason. And so this morning what I want to do is I'm going to share some truths with you that are contained in this verse right here. I'm going to share three truths with you this morning. The first one is this. It centers around a people of hope. It centers around a people of hope. Who are the people who possess great hope? You said it earlier. I don't hear you. I still can't hear you. What is it? It's, it's, it's us. It's the believers. That's right. It's, it's you. It's the Christians. Notice Paul calls them. What does he call them? He, he says to them that they are dear brothers or he says, my beloved brethren. 
He is referring to the children of God. And I want to tell you something right now. He's not just referring to the believers in Corinth. He is, he is referring to the, to the believers, the saints of all the ages. In other words, he's talking to you and he's talking to me as well. We, meaning those who are born again, those who have experienced the watery graves of baptism, we are the people of hope. He makes that very clear to us. It centers around the people of hope, and they are people delivered by grace. Look at look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and 2, and verse 10 there. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, he says, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Notice what he says there. There's a, the, the idea that we have taken our stand. So he says, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, he says, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's what he tells us. You know, this is, this, this was a fact of their conversion experience that they, they were delivered by grace. You know, they were a people saved out of the deadness or, or death of their sins by the amazing grace of God. You know, Paul shares about this also in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. He says, for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. We were dead in that in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in you, who are disobedient. He says, all of us also lived among them. At one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. We were deserving of it, folks. But because of his great love for us, God's great love for every single one of us in here. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. It is by grace that you have been saved, he said. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Or a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. They have been brought into this personal relationship, this personal faith relationship with Jesus Christ. My question to you is this. Have you been delivered? Have you been delivered? Yes or no? Okay, 
if you have been delivered and you just said yes, then you have hope. You have this hope that he's talking about here. You have this hope. They were people delivered by grace, but they're also people destined for glory. They are destined for glory. You know, as you read this chapter, you come to understand that God, well, God has some big things waiting for his people. He's got some big things for us. You know, we are, we, we are a people possessing a powerful hope of a bright and better future, no matter what the future holds, folks, because we know who holds the future, holds our future in his hands. We know that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 49 through 57 said this. It says, and just as, as we have borne the image of the earthly man, he goes on to say, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's the earthly man? Adam. Who's the heavenly man? Jesus. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. He goes on to say, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all sleep. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus might come back in our lifetime. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortal, the mortal with the immortal, then the saying that is written will come true. We talked about this last week. Death, death, our enemy, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can also read from John chapter 14, verses 1 and 3 through 3, or Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. This is the hope that I'm talking about here, folks. So the first truth centers around being people of hope. The second truth is this from this verse. It says it centers around this idea of the it's the power of hope. Not only to be people of hope, but the power of hope. Read, look what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says there again. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Notice that word there, therefore. What's that therefore for? That, that word therefore draws our minds back to all that Paul had said in the previous verses. All those things that he had just said. He is telling us that the hope we possess is a motivator to spiritual action for the glory of God, for God's glory. It is a motivator for spiritual action. So when we give our life to the Lord, it doesn't mean that we just 
sit back and rest and wait till we die. That's not what it means. Giving our life to the Lord means that we are to get to work for the glory of God. That that's what we are called to do. Knowing the truth about God and salvation is a powerful motivator to serve Him. You see, belief always affects behavior. You hearing that? Belief always affects behavior. Believing the right things about Jesus and about the future are going to cause us to get busy for His glory. And folks, if we are living in the last times, in the last days, we better get busy. We better get busy. Hope causes us to stand firm, uh, to, to be stable, to remain steadfast, which means to be firmly situated. You know, it, it reminds us that, that we are to be rooted and grounded in what we believe and, and, and what we hold to be true. We are to be firmly situated in our, in our own personal convictions. Are you firmly situated in your own personal convictions? The bottom line is this. If we have no hope, we might waver in our faith and we might wander off after all these things that the world has to offer us. If this life doesn't matter and there are no eternal ramifications for our actions, then it becomes easier for us to just stray away. But when our hope is real, what it does is it causes us to be stable, to stand firm in our faith and in our walk. To stand firm. He, he, he says that in the passage there. Let nothing move you. But hope not only causes us to stand firm, what it also causes us to do, hope counsels us to be stubborn. How many of you would consider yourselves to be stubborn? <laughs> Paul says, let nothing move you. The word unmovable means not moved from a place, firmly persistent, standing your ground, standing your ground, there are many times when stubbornness is not appropriate, but in the, in the Lord's work, a good dose of bullheadedness can sometimes be in perfect order. It really can. You're going to let nothing, absolutely nothing, move you. Nothing moves us. Our determination to serve the Lord, nothing is going to move us from that determination. And then hope challenges us to be strong. The New American Standard Bible says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Abounding has the idea of exceeding this, this idea of a fixed amount. It's, it's overflowing. So when we consider what we have and who we are by grace, we will be motivated to go all out for Jesus. He lavished his grace on us when he saved us. Listen to what Paul has to say. He says this. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. 
that word lavish, just this past week I was watching this video and they were talking about um, in some of these third world countries where they don't get baths very often and they showed this little boy in this little tub and this woman, she was, I mean, she, he, he, was a, he was a black boy and he was so covered with foam that you couldn't even see him. I mean, she was, she was just rubbing him and just, just lavishing all that on him. And that's what it is, that God lavishes. He just lavishes all that on us. Wow. The least we can do is go overboard in our service for him. You know what? I've I've always thought, if I have to err, I I would hope that I would err on the side of doing too much for Jesus. I would hope that I would I would err on the side of doing too much, of going even further than the distance that I need to go for Jesus. Being so on fire for the Lord that there is no doubt who I love and who I serve. No doubt who you love and who you serve. Everything we have our time, our money, our energy, our talents, our gifts, our bodies, our minds, our spirits should be invested in nothing but Jesus. And I know I fail at that all the time. And I'm sure you do too. But don't give up. Don't give up. Our prayers, our praise, our thanksgiving should be given hands given feet as we lay everything we have at the feet of our Redeemer Jesus. That's the power. That's the power of hope. And the last truth that I want to share with you this morning is this. It centers around the promise of hope. If this life is all there is, if there is no hope for eternity and no possibility of a resurrection, if all we have to look forward to is the grave, then we have real reason to despair. We really do. And this is exactly what Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. He tells us that. And, and you need to go back and read the, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians because this is all in this. It says, if there is no resurrection from the, of the dead, then not even Christ has been born, has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God and that He raised Christ from the dead, but He did not raise Him, in fact, from the dead, if, if, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And he goes on to say, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. They are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. And if we ended it there, whew, that would be very depressing. But, but, Paul sounds out the blessed truth 
that there is a resurrection. Notice what it says in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We serve a risen Savior, and He's in this world today. We can't find His grave because He's not in it anymore. Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. And there is hope for those who have their faith in Jesus. Notice what this hope promises to the people of the Lord. The first thing that I want to point to you in verse 58, going back to verse 58 again, our hope gives us confidence. Paul tells us that we know. He says it in there in the very last part of that verse. We know that our work for Jesus matters. There is, there is no sacrifice, no struggle, no self-denial, no valley, no work goes unnoticed before the Lord. He notices everything. So what I want to tell you is this. Keep, keep praying. Keep serving. Keep living for Jesus. He sees it. He knows it. What you do for Him in His name is not in vain. That is, it is not a waste of your time. It is not an exercise in futility. That should give us the confidence to continue serving Him regardless of what life brings our way. And it's because you know. You know. And then our hope gives us consolation too. Because you know what? Sometimes the road we walk is hard. Sometimes the burdens we bear are heavy. Ask someone who's been through it. Sometimes the work we are called to do seems endless and unrewarding. The word used to describe it here in the very end of that verse is labor. The word means intense labor united with toil and trouble. It is the idea of work that results in pain and agony. Been there? Probably done that. Sometimes our walk with the Lord is, is just like that. There are times when it seems that no one notices, no one even cares. There are times when you may feel unappreciated or, or criticized or maligned or your, your reputation has been trampled on. Your integrity has been flushed down the toilet and that you are carrying out a thankless task. But it's in those times, I'm going to tell you one thing, walk, walk, walk in confidence because the Lord is watching and when he comes, the scripture tells us he is going to reward those who earnestly seek him. Just walk, continue to walk. If we walk with him, work for him, and we wait patiently for him, the day will come when he is going to tell us what he said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, these words, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to hear when my time comes. When my time comes, I want to hear that. 
So as we sit here today facing a a year of toil and trouble and uncertainty, where do we find hope? Where do we find it? Are you a person of hope? Are you a person of hope? Remember the scripture that said, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what we do. Are you walking in the power of hope? Doing all you can to serve the one who saved you? Are you resting in the promises of your hope? And that, that gives us confidence knowing that our labor and service in the Lord is not in vain. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 20 say this, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Folks, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand, folks. There is hope. There is peace that makes this life complete for every man, woman, boy, girl. It's heaven in the real world. And it's found in the one and only name of Jesus. Only Jesus. That's what we'll be talking about next week. Only Jesus. This morning, if you haven't embraced that blessed hope, we give you the opportunity to come.